Um, yeah, just something that you really love to, to, to do, to be a part of. Um, so yeah, just share that. <laughs> what, what was it? Did you say sleep? Yeah, that makes sense. So um, yeah, it could be sleep. If you're passionate about sleep, that's totally acceptable. But yeah, just share that with one another around your table for a couple minutes as we allow these guys to drop off their kids and come back up. Hopefully, everybody got to share or maybe to share afterwards. But uh, before um, Dan comes up and, and shares a word with us, we wanted to take a couple minutes, about 10 minutes, just to have a time to encourage one another.
reminding us that we'll pray that we also it's not our home.
we um, just take a few minutes and come and stand up just here in front of Green City? And um, <coughs> we'll just kind of close our eyes. I just want us to just share who God is or just what you're thankful for who God is. Thank you that you are the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That and uh, that yeah, you are you are everything. Fathers, we're about to um, read and, and, and study and, and just digest the, your word 
um, here. I, I just pray that, yeah, you would open up our hearts um, that we may understand. You would open up our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, our spirit that we may understand what you have to share with us this morning um, through Dan. And, uh, Lord, thank you that we, again, have an amazing opportunity to be able to, to study this, read this, and to know your word that is life-giving, the word. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, may it be a sweet time um, uh, this morning. Your son's precious name, amen. I'm going to go ahead and read. We've been in, um, and then Dan's going to come up and, and share, but I want to read the passage out of 2 Peter. Uh, we're in chapter, chapter 1 still, 2 Peter 1, starting at verse 12. So take a, a couple seconds to get there, 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 through God's word it says this, so I'll always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in, in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon be put in, I will put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to you. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice, for the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. You yourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when you were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. The prophet, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, do please keep your Bibles open. Um, it's always helpful to check that what I'm saying is biblical in the Bible, so do keep them open for me. Well, um, on my first Father's Day, um, Nikki bought me a gift, and it was a letter-writing kit. You write letters to Evan throughout his life at different stages to different key life events. But some of the stuff was about um, wanting to encourage him what he needs to remember, what I've learned in my life, and what would be good for him to know and take on board as he grows up, just in case I'm not there one day, and that will happen at some point. But 2 Peter's got me thinking about what would my parting letter be to my children? What would I want them to know? 2 Peter is Peter's final letter, the church that he knows and that he loves dearly and he wants his church he wants these churches and all future generations of believers to remember certain things his last words what is he going to ask them to remember and kenny it was a, it was a great sermon last week if you weren't here and haven't listened to it it's a great sermon every week kenny just when you preach but last week starting off to peter 
a really, really fantastic and really helpful and challenging start to what 2 Peter's about. Peter, not 2 Peter, but Peter himself is concerned about false teaching. He's concerned about what is infiltrating the church or what is coming from the church and going out into the church and actually destroying it from the inside out. 1 Peter, as Kenny was telling us, was about persecution and how that had actually strengthened the believers but false teaching, saying that Jesus isn't returning again, wasn't a fully bodily re- resurrection, has the power to destroy the church. Not standing firm on the truth. He wants them to. And it's the same for us today. There is false teaching that's in the church, in churches, even in our very, in this very, on this very street somewhere, there are churches that will be preaching not the full gospel. And it will slowly but surely eat away and could destroy the church. Remembering these things, he wants us to remember certain things then. It's a crucial thing. And we we do it ourselves, don't we? Remember, remember the... There we go. We've got it. And what happened on the 11th? What happens on the 11th of November at 11 o'clock every single year? What do we remember? The end of the World War I, wasn't it? Armistice Day. And so... Remembering is so important. Why? Because it helps us learn from the past and other mistakes that have happened. And we want to learn from it. We remember it once a year. And we remember it in such a way that I know at school that we would we'd do the minute silence or two minutes we would do. Trying to keep the kids quiet for that time was quite hard work. But, but it was that purposeful remembering each year. But I think these last words of Peter, before he goes to be crucified upside down in six to 12 months' time after he writes this letter... His heart is for his people to remember. Remember these things. Please remember these things. Well, what are they to remember? Well, he says to them, where am I? Sorry. I turned it on. There we go. He says this in verse 2, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly establishing the truth that you now have. Peter encourages them to remind him of the things that he's just talked about at the start of the letter. You have everything you need for a godly life. That's what he starts his letter with. You have everything you need to live a life worthy of Christ Jesus. The Word and the Spirit. You've been given them both. The Word and the power of the Spirit. Because Peter knows for them how you live matters. How we live our Christian life really does matter. Because Remembering sustains our godliness and gives us confidence of our salvation. It's a very wordy one, I know, but it's important. Remembering sustains our godliness, which is important, what Peter's been talking about, and gives us confidence of our salvation. Those two things are tied. Remember, you have everything you need to grow. God has given us everything we need to grow in godliness. And he calls us to make every effort to grow our faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Because, sorry, that would be great. Why does he want them to know that? Why is it so important? Because they will be productive and fruitful. There's nothing worse than thinking that you're not being productive or fruitful, is there? Sometimes I can feel like that. Am I being productive and fruitful in in my faith? Sometimes I don't feel I am. He says, as, as we feel like that, it, it, show, it 
it confirms our calling and election. This is not, I must do good things to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. So please don't hear me that, saying that. But, but Jesus has done everything for us to add to our, uh, but, but we're asked to make every effort to add to our godliness, to add godliness to our lives, to our faith, to per- perseverance, those fruits of the Spirit. We're to make every effort to do it. Jesus has done and won everything for us, but in our forgetful, fallen minds, we sometimes doubt our salvation, don't we? We do. But this is a tangible way for us to remind ourselves that we are saved as we grow in those areas. Now, we may not feel that we're doing a particularly good job at being good. We may not feel we're doing a particularly good job at self-confidence, self-control. I certainly haven't been over at Easter. The amount of Easter eggs that have been consumed has been considerable. It really has. Staff team know about my 18 Cadbury's cream eggs that were consumed um, in a few days. But, then about you, there's just this This balance of, of we, have, we, we have had everything done for us. Jesus Christ has won everything for us and done everything for us. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more or love us less. But he wants us to take hold of this. Peter knows that as we live a, God, live a godly life, it, it gives us that confidence of our salvation. Your future hope of salvation is realized as godly character is nurtured through strenuous moral effort built upon the glorious promises that we find in Scripture. Your future salvation is realized as godly character is nurtured through strenuous moral effort and built and built upon God's glorious promises in Scripture. Peter wants them to go to bed at night, secure in the knowledge their salvation is secure. Your lives show it. Be secure. That's what I want for us. How many times do we go to bed at night Where am I going? <laughs> if I don't wake up in the morning, where am I going? That beautiful story from Sue, her friend John, he just knew that he was fixing his eyes on Jesus at every single moment, and at that moment, the Lord takes him. That Some friends of mine at the moment are going through a situation where some people they've been doing life with for the last 30 years from church have more recently been quite um, angry and... Um, pointed in their attacks on the church that they go to, on um, suffering, on people's lives that seem to have had a difficult life, and it's not fair. And actually, they're then going around telling other people in the church this, and moaning and so forth, and it's starting to destroy parts of that church and cause a fraction. My friends, they called them out on it, on, on this very thing, this week. A really difficult conversation, but but... They're angry. They're not feeling secure in their salvation and where they're going. They're not necessarily focusing on developing godly character. We also have an aim that every night I will tell my children across the day a hundred times that I love them. That's my quota. And a hundred kisses per child a day. Because when they go to bed, I want them to know... They are loved by me. I want them to feel secure. 
I don't want them to doubt for any second that I love them. And when they wake up in the middle of the night, which they do regularly, and um, maybe upset or anything like that, they know they can call out to Daddy, and they're secure that he will come and be with them. There's that, something beautiful about seeing a child's face as they go to bed, so trusting that they are loved and secure, they sleep ideally peacefully most of the time. But there's a role that we have to do for one another in this. We are able to point one another's fruits out, aren't we? We can say to one another, Andy, I've seen you grow in your knowledge of the Lord. It is beautiful to see. Kenny, I've seen you grow in your love for others, and I just want to encourage you in that. I see God at work in you. That's the beauty of living in community. We get to encourage one another that we're seeing growth. We are to be, as Di Hanke calls it, expert of seeing evidences of grace in one another's lives. And we're to go and tell one another about it. Not to puff us up, but to encourage us and to just encourage us in knowing that our salvation is secure. Godly character is nurtured through strenuous moral effort built upon God's glorious promises and hope of salvation well secondly that's so let me just go back and say one more thing on this um sometimes i think we know that we're united with christ and our union with christ as we call it cannot be taken away from us at any point it's ours but our communion with christ our enjoyment of him in our day-to-day relationship in the here and now can be hindered can't it we when we feel we're walking closely with the lord and we're communing with him in a close way we feel secure we're sure of his promises that we read in scripture we're to we're to develop that relationship our communion with the living god through jesus christ and as we do that lead to security in our faith and we'll be able to fight false teaching as and when we see it, as and when we hear it. So, secondly, remembering strengthens us and stirs our passion. So firstly, we saw that remembering sustains our godliness and gives us confidence of salvation. But secondly, remembering strengthens us and stirs our passions. We're still in verse 12, but we will get further on, I promise you, as we go on. But He says, so I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. Isn't it interesting that Peter's writing to Christians who aren't struggling in their faith. These are Christians that know and love Jesus and are strong. And he's writing to them. They already know the truth, but he's saying they're firmly established. Sterizo, that word means firmly established. That means to strengthen. They are genuine believers, grounded in faith, not likely to be led away by false teachers. But I think a key truth for us here is just because you are grounded in the truth doesn't guarantee that we're going to remain there. Just because we're grounded in the truth doesn't mean we're going to remain there. And who knew better than anyone else that truth? Peter. Peter, the guy who we've just seen in Mark's Gospel, was the first disciple to say, you are the Messiah. I know who you are. I will never deny you. And then straight away what happens? He disowns him. He disowns Jesus. 
spiritually strong at one point and then crashing and burning hard at the next. And we've, we've heard of plenty of leaders in the past that have gone down that route. But interestingly, Jesus uses this same word, sterizo, to strengthen in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. For when Peter regains his spiritual force, he says, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter listened to that. He went and strengthened his brothers with this letter. Peter knew how to be spiritually strong, crash and burn, but then also knew what it meant to regain his spiritual footing. I think it's a warning for us. Be careful not to think that we know it all. And be careful not to move past simple gospel truths of what it means to be his disciple. Don't move past simple gospel truths. How does remembering strengthen us? Well, in verse 13, I think it is right to refresh your memory. Again, he wants to refresh their memories. Remember this. Because I know that I will soon be put aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. It is right to refresh your memory in the ESV is to stir you up. It is right to provoke you. It is right to stir up your feelings. It is right that you know the truth. But I want to stir up for you to take hold of the gospel. going verse 15 what does it say it says and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things and I was looking at this that you'll always be able to remember these things um some scholars talk about this meaning that this is more than just simply being able to recite scripture and knowing some of these things it's to hold things in remembrance to hold the scriptures in remembrance it goes deeper than just remembering it's to stir us stir us up that it that the word so deeply goes into our hearts that we actually then go and enact it and live it out. As we remember the truths of the scripture, we go and live them out, and we live in the power of what we hear and what the promises that we hear. Paul's, Peter's goal is not just for them to be able to write, recite scripture, which is great, and that's so important that we know our scriptures. But if we have merely intellectual recollection of gospel truths, fail to hold it in remembrance, we're not going to live it out in our day-to-day life going to live it out in our day-to-day lives. It's amazing how we can functionally forget even the most basic gospel truths. Even though we may be able to recite them in our minds, but they're not taking hold. Spiritual amnesia. I'm trying to say that word. I'm forgetting how to say that word. Spiritual. Spiritual. Is that right? M's and N's next to each other really do throw me off. Um. Let's play this out. We can know that Jesus died for our sins, but it's possible to never really embrace that to the degree that we overcome our feelings of guilt and shame. We can know that. We know Jesus died for our sins. Yes! But if we're still feeling guilty and broken for for our sins of the past, has the gospel truth got into our heart? Just as a, um, a situation where this, I realize that I don't always do this. I realize that I don't always, that, that there's some guilt that I have for past sins that I'm still holding on to. I'm not living in the light of this truth. But when I did, a couple of weeks ago, when I spoke out of turn to somebody, and then on the same day I was doing the walk of witnessing an amazing grace, I felt really upset and broken for what I'd done. And I was singing Amazing Grace five times, and I was still thinking, I was like wallowing in my guilt and thinking, I, need, I deserve to feel like this. 
watching a man carrying the cross. And I thought to myself, this isn't me. I'm not enjoying the amazing grace that we've been given and how liberating it was to take hold of the truth and watch as a man carried the cross and was singing amazing grace. I think, I'm belittling that gospel truth by not accepting the grace that I have been given. I'm saying that what Jesus has done is not enough. Peace, the feeling of no condemnation, washed over me, and it was an absolute joy to experience that. Another one, talking about in context to this, we're looking at holy living. So it's possible to know that we're called to a holy living, to live a godly life, but also... If we're not willing to fight for holiness, gospel truth is not residing in our hearts enough. Are we able to take hold and say, Lord, I know you've set me apart for holiness, and I'm, I'm in a battle with sin, anger, frustration, lust. But Lord, you don't want me to stay there. You want me to be in the fight, and yes, we will fail and we will fall many times. But let's have that gospel truth in us that we are to, to maintain that holiness and purity, make every effort. Christ has won it for us. Another one do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition, present your request to God. How many people? Philippians 4 6 and 7. What a, a wonderful, wonderful piece of scripture that we can recite probably many times um, over and over again. Do we actually take our prayers and petitions and our anxieties to the Lord regularly and hold them up to him and ask him to take them? Do we hold them into remembrance or is it just a word of scripture that we are able to share? I say this not to condemn us in any single way, but just to enjoy the grace that we have been given and to seize it. We have all we need to grow in godliness. We have the word. We have the spirit. And we need them both. For the word to sink in deep, we need the spirit of God to illumine us and to speak to us as we read his word. Inviting there as we turn to his word. Expecting to speak to us. And I've got a terrible analogy. It's like a ham and cheese toasty, which is brilliant, isn't it? But if you don't have the ham, it's just a cheese toasty and you're missing out. We've got both the word and the spirit. We want them both, don't we? We want the ham and the cheese. Have you got the ham in your cheese and ham toasty? I know that's the only thing you're going to remember. There's probably no bad thing from this. Sorry, Lord, if likening the word and the spirit to ham and cheese, but um, they're great things. Mature cheese. Um, and we're going to take five minutes to do this now, even though we probably haven't got very long. <laughs> but we take five minutes to do this. Um, I think it's really important. This question, what simple gospel truth could you, could you take, <laughs> what simple gospel truth could you or do you need to take hold, take hold of in remembrance? That sentence doesn't quite make sense. Well, it does. Okay, my reading doesn't make sense. Um, so I want us to spend five minutes now. Maybe it is anxiety that we're struggling with. And we just want to spend some time saying, Lord, let, me, let your spirit speak to me and let me hold on to this truth that I can bring everything to you. Maybe there's some unrepentant sin and you're feeling like, I feel guilty for something. 
turn to scripture, Google it if you need to, and say, where do I look for unrepentant sin? It'll bring up some scripture for you. And hold on to that scripture and meditate on it and ask the spirit to illumine your heart for you to take hold of it and not just recite it, but to, for it to, to make home in your, in your heart. I'm not going to speak anymore because I could do. Can we have some just background music and for five minutes, look in scripture. What are, where are your struggles at the moment? What are you finding it hard to trust God in? Are you doubting your salvation? Maybe have a look at scripture that your salvation is secure. It cannot be taken away. I'll give you five minutes. Bible's out. Go.
you probably need an hour um, to do that, but it's, it's a good start, isn't it? Because when we come to the Word of God, the Word of God, we have the Spirit, we enter the presence of God. Isn't that amazing to think when we come to His Word, purpose, purposefully we come to His Word in the Spirit, Word of God, and we enter into God's presence, holy God. I just find that incredible. Isn't that amazing? And, and how often do I come to it and pick it, I've done it for the day. And just to encourage us, like, even just finding one truth, one promise that you just need to hold on to and really put it into play in our lives, I think with the Spirit's help, I think it's so powerful. And we know that remembering is something that is biblical because Jesus also tells us that the physical act of the Lord's Supper is a gift to us. Let's remember him and what he's done for us. And so it's interesting, it's a physical act that he's given us to do, isn't it? He doesn't say, just remember what I've done. He says, take this meal, bread and the wine, or the bread and the juice, that signifies my body and my blood, that was, that was body that was broken for you, my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There is, there is, it's powerful when we come and take communion. How often do we, so I say we, the royal we, how often do I <laughs> come to communion and just, Go through the motions. The Lord is present with us. He is with us. And as we take communion, I want us to do this now together as we take the bread. Let's take the bread. Sorry, um, if Paul's table, if you could share with the table next to you. We don't have enough plates, so I apologize. But take a piece of bread. Everyone take a piece of bread. For those that know and love Jesus, this is for you. If you don't, if, if that's not you yet, that's fine. Um, this is not for you to take. But for, for those of you that know and love Jesus, please pick up the bread. There's no, um, don't worry, don't feel pressure to do this or anything like this. But let's remember what was won for us. Our salvation was won for us. And we're to make every effort to add godliness, perseverance, self-control, love. Father God, we thank you. Thank you that your body was broken on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood for us. Thank you for the pain that you went through, the punishment that our sin deserves. You took on your body. You took on yourself. Body of Christ, broken for you. in the same way took the cup said this is my blood poured out for you this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant my blood we've been bought at a price by Jesus' blood into a new covenant covenant that gives us freedom from our sin the gift of eternal life the Holy Spirit in us thank you Jesus Guys, remembering stains our godliness, giving us confidence of our salvation. It strengthens us and it stirs our passions to hold things into remembrance. And just finally, and um, it won't take very long on these things, but 
we also see in this passage that there's remembering. Peter's also aware of it's no good remembering if you don't trust the scriptures. We need to make sure we're trusting the scriptures. So what does he say? Well, probably the biggest question that I get asked um, through Christianity, explored in other ways, is how do we know the Bible's true? How do we trust the Bible? It's a big question, isn't it? How we answer that question is really, really important. And so what Peter says to them here is, trust the apostolic witness. Trust the apostolic witness in verse 16. He says, he was an eyewitness. What was he an eyewitness of? We saw this in Mark when we we just preached on this, haven't we, the transfiguration. Peter saw Jesus transfigured in all his glory, pointing to the second coming, that, that Jesus would return again, but in a glorious, in his glorious might and majesty. He saw Elijah, he saw Moses, Jesus at the center, law and the prophets fulfilled in Jesus. His second coming is real. Peter's saying, I was there. I saw it. I heard God's voice say, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I saw it. In this day, we, in, at this time, an eyewitness account was so important. And it was trusted. If two or more people had seen it, it was a trusted eyewitness account. Interestingly, what did they do when they tried to condemn Jesus to death? False witness. But witness, eyewitness account was so important. And they were there. There were three witnesses to this. And he's saying, look, trust me. Peter continues to say, the apostles, we don't simply blind follow cleverly devised stories. These are not made-up stories. They heard God's voice. They saw Jesus in his glory. Coming of Jesus with his power and with, with his majesty. Trust me. Trust me. What have the false teachers got? The false teachers are teaching that there's no second coming. And yet, Peter's like, no, I'm an eyewitness. I've seen this. That can happen. So we're to trust the eyewitness account. But also, we're to trust the prophetic word. The Old Testament, and as Peter is penning this, and Paul and others at this time, um, he was saying that there's an even stronger authority than my personal eyewitness. That is the prophetic word. The Jews had the Torah. They they had um, much of the Old Testament, and they trusted that it was God's word. Peter's saying, look, Jesus fulfills Everything, all the promises, all the all the, the three hundred prophecies of what's in the Old Testament, you, you come true in Christ. If you don't believe me, go to the scriptures, see it for yourself. When we talk about prophecy, we're talking about um, miraculous divine communication that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking through man. Look what he said. What does he say? Sorry, let me find it. I've lost it here. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to light shining in a dark place. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. This is not man just making this up. The prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke through them. The Holy Spirit spoke through them. This is not them being, this is 
what does it mean to be carried along by the Holy Spirit when they wrote this? Well, this does not mean they're in a trance robotically writing it down. It doesn't mean the prophets gave their own interpretations. It means that they were inspired by God himself. And this is important. The inspiration of Scripture is something that we need to hold on to and understand because inspiration means that God so directed human writers of Scripture that using their personalities and their writing styles, his complete revelation for mankind was recorded. Inspiration means that God so directed human writers of Scripture that using their personalities and writing styles, his complete revelation for mankind was recorded. The Bible is God's word breathed. Man has written it down. It's inspired by God. Every word from him. And he did this because it's a love story letter penned to us to show us how much he loved us. Fallen world redeemed by a loving God through his son. And he's given it in his word that is trustworthy and honest. Our faith is not rooted in fairy tales or fiction. We did not, the creation account is not a pretend story. When Jonah's swallowed by the big fish, it's not a Disney film. Um, when Jesus rises again, this is not a Marvel storyline. These are true stories God has shared for us to know him and to love him and to be saved by him. And just to finish with, sorry, I don't know how long I've gone, but Christianity Explorer, I keep going on about it. It's an absolutely brilliant course. And at the end of the course, um, it answers some of the questions that people have, like, how do we know the Bible's trustworthy and true? And this see this, if you can't, don't worry, but oh, maybe you can, it's a picture of it, is just another thing of giving evidence to the, how trustworthy and how honest and how um, true the Bible is. And I found this really, really helpful. So let's just pick Caesar's Gallic War, something that everybody believes in history happened. No one doubts it for a second. There's no one that ever says, oh, no, that didn't happen. And that hap- it happened in 50, about 50 BC was, was when that happened. The earliest, old, the oldest surviving copy of that event happening is 825 AD, which is 875 years after the event happened. And there are 10 surviving copies in existence today. Okay, do you, are you with me so far? This event that happened 50 BC has a document about it that's 875 years older than the event that happened, okay? Hearing me? But then let's go down to the, the, the whole New Testament, penned between AD 40 and around about um, AD 100. The date of the oldest surviving copy is AD 350, so there's about 250 years difference. And yet there's 14,000 approximate copies that are copies of the date of the oldest surviving copy, if that makes sense. So for Caesar, we believe Caesar existed and he did all the things that he did, and there's 10 copies that were, that were written 875 years after it happened. There's 14,000 copies of the, of the New Testament dated 350 years, well, only 250 years after what we read in the New Testament. 14,000 copies. Whenever someone says, how do I know the Bible's true? We, have, we know it's God's word. 
um, God's word breathed? How is it trustworthy? Well, compared to anything else of antiquity, we've got 14,000 copies of it that show that this really happened. Like, we have a faith that we, there is evidence for it. There is a great amount of evidence for it. We do not doubt it. And so the things we're remembering when we look at Scripture are true. Promises, 7,000 promises of God that we can trust in, that we can take hold of and hold into remembrance. So I encourage you to remember one this week. and Hold on to it. Take hold of it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it's trustworthy. We thank you for the fact that we can look back and see that's 14,000 copies of the New Testament. Thank you that we follow not fantasy stories, but a God who so loved us, gave his only son to die for us. Thank you that you know that we are forgetful and you've given us things to remember you. Thank you that we're also, um, at times when we doubt our own salvation, thank you that you've given us um, the truth that we, we don't need to doubt our salvation. We've been given everything that we need for a life of godliness. Lord, thank you that we get to make every effort to add to our faith. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't rely on us that we have your word, spirit, have your spirit in us, but work in us, making your word alive to us, living and active. Every day we come to it, fresh, your spirit can speak to us. We're going to finish by standing.